Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Way back in the very, very beginning of time, God created something out of nothing. He spoke it all into existence. Sun, moon, and stars, sky, land, and sea. He made it all. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says that God saw all that he had made, and he said it was very good. Everything was perfect in the very beginning. And then God makes the first man, and his name was Adam, and God breathed into him the breath of life. And then for the first time, we have something that is subpar. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The first not good thing in the entire world is that the man is alone. I think I found a few examples for you this morning of why that might be the case. Take a look at these. You see that guy? <laughs> it's not good for that guy to be alone. Okay, all right, let's get a couple more here. There you go, this man, yes, that looks, that looks good. Yeah, that's gonna end well. All right, next here. <laughs> Very good, yeah, that, a little help. Uh, one more here, it's lawn mowing season. That's live footage of Steve White in his house, mowing his lawn. Yeah, very true. It is not good for the man to be alone. I can sense what God was getting at a little bit here. But beyond the fact that without the wisdom of our ladies, humanity would have been extinct a long time ago, I think the deeper truth, the deeper truth that God is getting at is that we were not made to live in isolation. The first not good thing ever was loneliness. It was true then, and it's true now. In fact, some sociologists say that we are living in a loneliness epidemic, that people are less connected and more isolated now than ever before. And that, that was before we went into a lifestyle of lockdowns and quarantines and where our primary social interactions happened on screens. I won't bore you with the numbers, but if you look up the statistics on loneliness in America today, it will break your heart. And this loneliness epidemic, it has severe ramifications. One Harvard scientist discovered that isolated people are at any given point three times more likely to die than people with strong social connections. Another study showed that people with poor health habits but strong social ties are more likely to live longer than people with great health habits who live isolated lives. One author says that means it's better to eat Twinkies with your friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another study says that if you belong to no groups today, but you decide to join one today, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. So I, th I thought about titling this sermon, Join a Home Group or Die. We can end right there, right? <laughs> it is not good for us to be alone. And that's part of why for the next three weeks, like Steve said, we're hitting pause on our series through the Gospel of John. And we're gonna be walking through Luke chapter 10 together in a little series called The Art of Neighboring because God has given us as his people, I mean, like, look how full this room is today. He's given us community. He has given us a hope and the ability to reach a lost and lonely world with his love. And the good news is we don't do that by ourselves. We do it together. And so we're actually preaching through this example 
exact series together with eight other churches. We're all doing it together starting this week. We're doing it with Northwest Christian Church, Etna Green Church of Christ, Clayton Christian Church, The Journey Church up in Avon, Thrive Church down in Canby, Tribe Church here in downtown Plainfield, and Kingsway Christian Church just right up the street from us. This series uh, was the brainchild of my good friend, Matt Nickerson, who's the preacher there at Kingsway. And we are really excited to get to do this alongside all of these other churches because I just gotta tell you that in planning this series, uh, Steve and I have had the opportunity to sit at a table with these other ministers and just to eat and to laugh and to pray together. And it has been so, so good. And it's a powerful reminder that we all need that, listen, like Ford and Chevrolet may be competing against each other and Nike and Adidas may be competing against each other and McDonald's and Wendy's may be competing against each other, but the churches in Hendricks County most certainly are not. And a win for any one of them is a win for all of us because in order for us to push back the kingdom of darkness and to allow the light of the gospel of Jesus to shine in every corner of Hendricks County, it is gonna take every single church and every single Christian living on mission for Jesus. And so we're excited uh, to partner with our sister churches in this and to, uh, we're excited just to see how these friendships, God's gonna use them to, to love our neighbors and to reach our community for him so that his kingdom can come in Hendricks County as it is in heaven. So without further ado, do. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 10. Here we go. Here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked a really compelling question. Verses 25 through 28 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So this religious expert comes up to Jesus and he basically says, okay, Jesus, out of all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament law, all 248 thou shalt's and 365 thou shalt not's, which one is the absolute most important? And Jesus says it all boils down to this. Love God, love people. Pretty simple. And you can't divorce the two. You can't have one without the other. They are inextricably linked. Jesus is saying, hey, if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, then that will naturally outflow into love toward the people around you, which often looks like hospitality. In fact, here's my sermon in a sentence for you today. An open heart to God means an open home to others. An open heart to God means an open home to others. And every command that we are given in the Bible is grounded in the character of God. It's derived from him, helping us become more like him. And so if we are to be hospitable, then that means that God himself is a hospitable God. And to love him is to become hospitable like him. Steve talked about this just a minute ago. Think about how hospitable God is. He sent his son Jesus from heaven to earth to invite us to come over to his house for eternity, to eat with him at the wedding banquet of the Lamb, to join his family forever because it was not good for us to be alone. And and we see the hospitable heart of God on display, of course, most vividly in the life of his son Jesus here on earth. Jesus was a hospitable guy. He was known as a friend, a friend of sinners. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus' favorite title for himself, his favorite name for himself was the Son of Man. 
And three times in the Gospels, he tells us why the Son of Man came to earth. He gives us three different reasons. Reason number one is Luke chapter 19. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's reason number one. Pretty good, okay? Reason number two we find in Mark chapter 10. He says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're, we're kind of familiar with those first two. We get those. But here's reason number three. Look at this. He says in Luke chapter seven, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. This kind of hospitable love, this is the heart of God himself, that he loves to welcome people, to seek them and to save them, and also to eat and drink with them as an expression of his grace, because it is not good for us to be alone. So as an expression of God's hospitality, remember, we always love because he has first loved us. And as an expression of God's hospitality, the people of God have always been a people of hospitality, even way back in the Old Testament. This was even written into the Jewish law, Leviticus chapter 19. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Elsewhere in the law, God commands his people to do things like uh, welcoming travelers into their home or leaving some of the corners of their fields unharvested so that the poor people could come along and have enough food to eat. Again, all of this is grounded in the way that God had first been hospitable to them. And the same is true as we move to the New Testament people of God, the early Christians. First Timothy chapter three says that one of the requirements for being an elder, a leader of God's church, is that they must be hospitable Elsewhere, Paul says that hospitality is actually a duty for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You may not think you're any good at hospitality. That's okay. He says it's something you can practice. You can get good at it. And long before the early church ever had buildings and baptistries, they had kitchens and tables. Take a look at what the early Christians did in Acts chapter two. It says they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And while it is good and necessary for us to take care of each other inside the church, like it's not wrong for you to have your church friends over for dinner, the, the kind of hospitality that we're talking about this month is a little bit different than that. Buckle into your nerd seats here with me for a minute. We're gonna go into the Greek. Y'all ready? Okay. The Greek word for hospitality in the New Testament is philozenia. I think it will say philozenia. All right, you're getting your money's worth today. Philozenia, and that's made up of two Greek nouns that were smashed together. The first one is the noun philos, for love. The second one is the noun xenos, for stranger. So hospitality literally means love for the stranger. And as you look at that, you might be able to see that sometimes in our society, we have replaced this philozenia with xenophobia, a fear of the stranger. And yet we as Christians are called to love the stranger, to love those who are different than us. To love those who are different from you ethnically or economically or religiously or politically or generationally. You know, if you would go into the homes of some of these early Christians, you would see sitting around those tables, Jews and Gentiles sitting next to each other and men praying with women and children hearing stories from the elderly and slaves and masters studying God's word together because they love God and that led them to love their neighbor, to love the stranger and the world changed. And I think it's this kind of hospitality that can cast a compelling vision to a lonely world of what true life and real love look like in the family of God. 
And it happens when God's people, us, the church, decide to get serious about loving the stranger, showing hospitality. And I've seen it before. I've seen it at First Christian Church of Lamar, Missouri. Lamar, Missouri is a little tiny farm town, population 5,000, where I spent a lot of my childhood. And every August growing up, I would take my 4-H exhibits to the Lamar Fair, and we would ride the Ferris wheel, and we would eat fried Oreos and funnel cakes, and we'd walk around the square. And Lamar's a small town. Everybody said hi to everybody else, everybody that is, except the traveling carnival workers. Now, you might have a picture, a stereotype in your head of what a carny looks like. At worst, people view carnival workers as suspicious. At best, people just ignore them, you know. But not First Christian Church of Lamar, Missouri. A few years ago, they started putting on a lunch for the carnival workers on the day before the fair started. And so these church ladies would come and they'd cook roast beef and mashed potatoes and green beans and rolls and somebody would crank homemade ice cream and Cinda Miller would always bring some of her famous pies And when the church first extended the invitation to the carnies to come to lunch, the carnival manager responded in wide-eyed surprise, wow, nobody's ever done that for us before. And on a hot Wednesday afternoon, 40 church members welcomed 80 carnival workers into their air-conditioned fellowship hall, and they learned names, and they ate together, and they showed family pictures, and they listened to each other's stories, and they laughed. And you know what happened? Friendships began, and phone numbers were exchanged, and good news was shared, and prayers were prayed, and faith was stirred, and the kingdom was advanced, because they loved the stranger. Romans chapter 15 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And can I pause for just a moment and tell you that I love you, and part of the reason that I love you, part of the reason that I love being a part of this church is that this is part of your DNA. Uh, when, when my family came here four years ago, we were strangers. You might still think I'm strange, but then we were strangers, right? <laughs> and you all have welcomed us with open arms. And I just gotta tell you, like, you're my family. Like this, I can say honestly, this is home for us. And this is your DNA, church. And I wanna live it out to everybody who comes in those doors. I don't want anybody to walk in those doors and walk out again without being listened to and loved. So can I challenge you for a second? When you're in here, love your neighbor. Keep your eyes open. If you see somebody sitting by themselves, say hi. If you see somebody who looks like they're new, introduce yourself, walk them around, welcome each other because an open heart to God means an open home to others. And I want this to be an open home. Our vision as a church is impacting homes by opening ours. Let's make this an open house because of how much we love God. And you know, in order for that to happen, for us to become a hospitable church, that means that we as individuals must first become hospitable people. Every day, I have an alarm on my phone that goes off, and it reminds me to pray and to ask God to send out workers into the harvest field, because that's something that Jesus commands us to pray for. Here in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And as I've prayed that prayer over and over and over again, God has taught me something, that I'm the answer to my own prayer, And I think as you pray that prayer, God will teach you that you are the answer to that prayer. You are the worker that he wants to send out into his harvest field. Just look at the very next verse. Jesus says, go, I am sending you. 
wow, he's sending us. Now, I hope you've been keeping up with the one challenge that we gave you at the beginning of the year where we challenged you to pick one person in your life who's far from God and to commit to doing three things for them over the course of the year. We want you to pray, we want you to eat, we want you to ask. Now, if you've already fallen off the wagon or if you haven't even hopped on the wagon yet, that's okay, it's not too late, crawl back on, hop in. You can still pick one person and pray for them every single day this year. And we want you to build a relationship with them and that happens best over food, eat with them. And the second thing is ask them good questions, get to know them, and then be prepared to give an answer when they ask you in response. Pray, eat, and ask. And here's the thing. When we offer somebody a meal, when we ask somebody a question, we're not just giving them food, not just giving them conversation. We are offering them a relationship. We're offering them a place to belong. We're saying, hey, you're welcome here. You're safe. You could be you. It's no accident that the word hospitality comes from the same Latin root word as the word hospital, because they both lead to the same thing, healing. And one of my favorite books on hospitality is by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield, and the book is entitled, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And so I think it's a great title. And here's Rosaria's story. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University in New York, and Rosaria Butterfield was a radical lesbian feminist. She said, Christians scared me to death. No kidding. (laughs) But in 1999, as research for a book that she was writing against the religious right, Rosaria accepted a local pastor's invitation to to dinner. And so she went over to the home of Ken and Floyd Smith. And Ken and Floyd welcomed Rosaria to their table. And at that first meal, they didn't share the gospel. They didn't invite her to church. They just listened. And they loved And they laughed and they invited her back. And over the next few years, she ate hundreds of meals in their home. Rosaria later said, Ken and Floyd knew at the time that I would never step foot in a church. It would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. So instead, Ken and Floyd brought church to me. And after two years of baked bread and book exchanges and playful banter and Bible discussions, The Smith's hospitality slowly transformed Rosaria Butterfield. She went from hating Christians to becoming one. And today, Rosaria Butterfield is a pastor's wife, and she's a Christian author, because Ken and Floyd Smith knew that an open heart to God means an open home to others. The gospel comes with a house key. And can I tell you, church, it's happening here in our congregation. I've heard story after story, even this morning, of you all living that out. When a group of Congolese refugees moved into the area and they started attending our church last year, we thought that we were being the hospitable ones when we opened our building so that they could have a Sunday afternoon worship service here in their native language of Banya Malinge. But as these brothers and sisters have become a part of our church family, we quickly learned that we were the ones who were learning about what it means to love your neighbor. Uh, Recently, our Congolese brothers and sisters have been going through a series of sessions on storytelling from the life of Jesus. And so for the first three weeks of these storytelling seminars they were doing, they started with the first story of, of Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And then the next week, they went through the story of Jesus going to the home of Zacchaeus, another tax collector. And then the next week, they went through the parable of the lost sheep. All three of these are stories that confront the legalism of the religious teachers. They're stories that illustrate the grace of Jesus toward people who are caught in sin and in suffering. And as this is all going on, one of our Congolese brothers, I won't say his name for confidentiality reasons, but he decided that he wanted to show hospitality to his coworkers. And so he invited them all over for dinner. But upon receiving the invitation, one of his coworkers pulled him aside and said, hey, listen, you don't want me to come to your house. I'm gay. 
Uh, Don't you Christians judge gay people? In my experience, Christians don't really like being around me. You don't want me in your home. And so our Congolese brother, he, he didn't know how to answer. He didn't know what to say. So he just rehashed all three of those stories that they'd been through the last three weeks. He told them the story of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector and Jesus partying with Zacchaeus and the parable of the lost sheep. And then he just said, hey, listen, we're all sinners and Jesus came for us and he wants to be with us. So if you're feeling excluded by Christians, that's not Jesus. He wants to be with you. And after that, his coworker said, huh, you must have been sent by an angel. I guess I was wrong. Maybe I can come to your house after all. It wasn't fancy. He didn't go into some big theological argument about the rights and the wrongs and all of that. The time for those things will come. But he had an open heart to God and an open home to others and the light of the gospel shone through. And certainly, yeah, this vision of impacting homes by opening ours, it does apply to you loving your coworkers and to you uh, uh, loving the people you see around you at church and to loving the other parents at baseball practice and to loving the person with a flat tire on the side of the road and to loving the barista who gives you your coffee in the morning. But here is the specific mission and challenge for you this month. To love your neighbor means to love your neighbor. Like, what if Jesus meant your actual neighbor? Like the crazy people who live next door. Yeah. I've heard it said that Jesus says to love your neighbor and to love your enemy because oftentimes they're the same person. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about your neighbor who plays their music too loud and whose dog leaves little treats in your yard. I'm talking about that person, okay? Jesus gave his followers a command in Matthew chapter 28 called the Great Commission. You might be familiar with it. He said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And in our day, as people are increasingly skeptical of entering a church building, the great commission, this command that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples, it's gonna happen through the great commandment. To love God and to love your actual neighbor. The the title of this sermon is Like a Good Neighbor because uh, you all have seen the commercials just like I have, right? So fill in the blank for me. Like a good neighbor. You guys watch too much TV. Yeah, good job. (laughs) Does your neighborhood know that you're there? That that like a good neighbor, you're going to be there when they just got in a fight with their spouse or when their mom just got diagnosed with cancer or when they are just at the end of the rope with their drinking problem or when their car has a flat or when they need an emergency babysitter, do they know that you're a good neighbor, that you're gonna be there? That the guy who asked Jesus this question, he already knew the right answer. He, he gave the right answer. He knew the greatest commandments. Love God, love people. The problem wasn't with his knowledge. It was with his obedience. And listen, I haven't said anything new today. You probably know everything I've said, and that's okay. The issue isn't whether or not we know it. It's whether or not we're gonna do it. That's why Jesus responds in verse 28, do this and you will live. So here's the challenge for you this week. Maybe you grabbed one of these on the way in. If not, they'll be on the tables where you got communion on the way out. We have a neighborhood grid for you, and I want you to pick it up on the way out. You might remember this from a few years ago. This house in the middle, that represents your house, and the blocks around it, those represent the houses around you. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to fill in the names of all your neighbors around you. If you don't know their names, just ask. Even if it's one of those awkward deals where like you've been waving and saying hi to each other for several years, but you don't actually know each other's names, right? Like, Just be the first one to 
like take the first step, laugh about it, and ask. I did it this week with a guy. It's okay. It was a little freaky, but I'm here. I'm breathing. It's, it's all good because of it. You can do it too. And if you already know their names, that's awesome. Fill in the names of their kids and their hobbies and what they do for a living and what they like to do, anything that will help you to love your neighbor. And it might be hard, and it's probably gonna be awkward, but we do it. Because as Paul said in Romans chapter five, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has thrown open his home to us while we were still strangers, while we were still sinners in rebellion against him. And when we truly grasp that we have been shown this kind of radical hospitality, then we can't help but show it to the people around us. And this is what it means, church. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Because an open heart to God means an open home to others. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us first and you've shown us what love looks like. And, and you know us, you know all the people who are hard to love in our lives and, and you know the, the fears or the worries or the excuses we make to, to, to keep us from, from loving those people. And we know that our failure to love them is ultimately a reflection of our failure to love you. If these two commands really are linked, then, then our first prayer, Lord, is just that you would increase our love for you that we would be able to say as a church that we love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And out of that, Father, increase our love for those around us. We ask that you would make us a church known for love. And we ask that for every one of these other churches partnering with us in this series and even the ones who are not. Every church on every corner, Lord, we want them to be the most faithful bride possible. We ask that you give them the right leaders and the right people and that you would let your people be known as a people of love all around the world. So help us in this. We need you. Use us, Father, to share your love to a lost and lonely world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.